Amen. Yes, Lord. All right. We're going to continue today. We are in this amazing journey of going through the Bible. And the last two Sundays, we learned about uh, many things from Israel, from the first and second book of Samuel. We learned about David. Uh, Brittany highlighted many wonderful things. And one of those was that David, it's a very interesting character and a real human being. We, he's portrayed in the Bible just as a regular being uh, like us, and we can identify with him. And she also highlighted the fact that that was a book of transitions. Do you like transitions? Do you like big changes? Do you enjoy them? No, <laughs> I don't. So I know, like, no, not at all. So that's a book of transitions, okay? So if you were here last Sunday, you're going to take uh, the usual 30-second time checking turns, sharing about how did it go this week? Did you have the time to think about the message? How did you apply it? If you were not here, it's okay. You can share about how you saw God this week in your life, how you met him, what happened this week. Uh, so you're going to have 60 seconds, about 30 seconds each. If you are in pairs or if you are in like small groups, just try to share a little bit about your week, okay? So 60 seconds. Go. <laughs> Ten more seconds. <laughs> All right. I hope everybody got a chance to see God, that he speaks, he moves, he talks, he meets us in our week, even when it's not a Sunday. That's fine. <laughs> All right. So we'll take where we left off last week. We're going to start with the next book in the Bible, and it just happens to be the continuation of the story. We have now the first and second books of Kings. We're going to cover the first one uh, today. And Kings is just what the title said. It's a book about... Kings, yes. Yeah, we saw David as he's really, really a main, main important king in the history of Israel. So we're going to see and start today at the end of David and continue 
Okay, and in a summary, because it's too much content, but we're going to highlight a summary and main events about kings that followed after David. And it's a very amazing book. Uh, still, it's a book of transitions, a lot of them. It's a book of big changes, major drastic changes, okay? But in the middle of everything, the good and the bad, we are going to see that God is still moving, always present, always speaking in any way you can imagine, always showing up, always longing that relationship with human beings, wanting to be close to us. In the middle of the darkest time, it could seem like there's chaos and confusion, and even in the middle of those situations, we're going to see that God is there. So the first book of Kings 1, 1 says this, and this is how we start. First part of the first verse. Now, King David was old and advanced in years. So we know that his kingdom, his rule is ending. We know that according to everything that we've learned about the history and the laws in Israel, the next king would be the firstborn. That's the next in line. But as Brittany shared with us last week, he's dead by now. So there's not a firstborn. So the second one would be the logical successor of David. But it's kind of interesting because this book starts in a very unique way. This son, his name is Adonijah, he knows he's the next in line. And he just decides, well, my dad is just old. And I think it's a good time for me just to become a king. So he organizes this official party, and he just thinks it's a good idea to self-proclaim himself the king of Israel. He invites important people. He invites his siblings. So you can imagine all the movement in the city. But he doesn't invite the king himself. He doesn't invite his dad. And he doesn't invite the prophet of the time, Nathan. Two very important people. The person that God put as the government of the people and the messenger of God, the guy that represents God's presence, not invited. And that, is, that got my attention, like that's not a good idea. When you have a person doing something in secret as if God didn't know what he was doing, that's not a good, wise decision. There's something new, something was wrong, and he decided to go with it and still do it. So Nathan the prophet and uh, Solomon's mom find out about it, and they go and tell King David, okay, this is happening, this is going on, what's, what's happening? And then we find out that David had made a promise, the promise of the king to Solomon's mom saying, after me, Solomon is going to be king. Not the firstborn, not the second, third, fourth, I don't know how many were in line. It was a very unique situation. It was a promise, and David set things right. So that's how we start the book of Kings. This transition is very, very shaky. It's very unique in many ways. And the next king is officially setting the throne, and it happens to be Solomon. Uh, and then we have a lot of chapters, chapter 6 to 12, about Solomon's kingdom. 
And I like Solomon because we have many, many cool stories. So I have, I have a question here. Most of us are familiar with the name, at least. What do you remember about Solomon? Maybe from Sunday school or a movie or something that you read about him. Uh, what is one thing that you remember? Wisdom. Wisdom. Yes. Any other? Yes, the temple. He built the temple. Yes, something else? He had a lot of wives. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, good answers. Yeah, he's very popular. He's very well known. And we read that he starts really in a good, good way. He really wants to follow in his dad's steps. He really wants to love God with all his heart. He wants to rule according to God's heart. And he is really worried, like, I'm, I'm now the king, and I don't know how to rule this people, and this is God's people. He took it very, very seriously. So in the very, very beginning, we have this amazing story that we usually hear when he asks for wisdom. And this story is in 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to read just a little bit of it. We read in, in verse 5. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. I don't want to fall down. Yes. <laughs> thank you, Terry. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That's right. Thank you. It was right on my foot. So thank you. <laughs> so we have this. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, ask me what I shall give you. And this is like the $1 million question. What would you do if God just appears to you in any way and ask me anything you want. Have you thought what your answer would be? Some know really, really, yeah, very clearly what you want. Okay, so this is Solomon's answers, verse 9. He explains like, well, I really, really don't know how to govern your people, and this is your people. So give your servant, give me your servant, an understanding mind, and a hearing heart which we, with which to judge their people so that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge and rule these great people of yours? This is the amplified version. And this is how he asks for wisdom. And it was just highlighted to me that wisdom could be translated as these two things understanding mind and a hearing heart, hearing God's voice. And that's what Solomon requests. Like, I want to understand, I want to hear you. Give me wisdom. And it's just an amazing experience to me because usually uh, we are being equipped here at church to listen to God. And I was thinking, well, usually when we are praying, desperate prayers, or calm prayers, or just for help, or for guidance, usually we are awake, right? And here, God, for some reason, chose to ask the most important question to the most important person as he was sleeping in a dream. And sleeping, I just imagine, okay, when you're sleeping, what happens? You have to answer when your mind is not interfering at all. Right? You have to answer from really the bottom of your heart. What's in there, that 
is the thing that has to come out because you are not awake. Your mind doesn't interfere. And I just was thinking, this is amazing because this reveals a lot of how Solomon's, Solomon's heart was at the beginning of his reign, what was in his heart. And God finds what's in our hearts all the time. Even if we're awake or sleeping, he knows our hearts. So this book registers this story, and then we read a lot of experiences when Solomon just displays this supernatural wisdom. Uh, God heard, and he gave him what he asked for. But he also gave him things that he did not ask for. He just said, okay, you have it. And everything that you didn't ask, like the riches, the fame, the splendor, everything, I will give you too. That's added. And I just remember, wow, that's what really Jesus says uh, in the New Testament when he says, seek first my kingdom, like seek, seek my faith, seek me, and everything else will be added to you. So it's important just to see that in this relationship that God wants with us. He really wants your heart, my heart, and he will add everything else that you maybe started dreaming about when you were a kid. Right? But it's first go after me. Understanding, mind, hearing, heart for his voice. So we have all this good thing, that Solomon thing, and you see that it's divided. His reign is divided like in two parts. The first one is the good thing, and the second part is the not so good things. So the good things he requests and he asks for wisdom. He builds the temple, everything that David wanted to do, that he prayed about, his dreams, Solomon got to do everything. Everything became a reality. He was the one that built God, a dwelling place. His glory came and filled the temple, and that was an amazing construction. He built other buildings that made him famous all over the land. Uh, he had peace. Um, up until this time, we read all of these wars because Israel was conquering the land. But now there's peace. No enemies around. Solomon has this privilege of no wars. Everything is just peace, supernatural wisdom, supernatural peace, from the closest to the farthest. And we read this story that is also well known where the queen of Sheba, where a farthest kingdom came traveling just to see if everything that she was hearing in a far, far away kingdom was true. She came and saw, and yes, it was true. He was an amazing king. But then, chapters 11 to 13, we read that bad things started to happen, right? He had this, started to have this logic in his mind. I have peace, and if I want to keep the peace, I think it's a good idea to create alliances. And the way to do that was, okay, I marry maybe the daughter of Pharaoh here, and I marry the wife of this other go government here. So he married one, and then another, and then another, and we read that he had hundreds of wives. Not a very normal thing, right? <laughs> yeah, a lot of wives, yes. Uh, and then he wanted to keep once that he was there in power, he wanted to keep building and building. And everything cost money then 
just like today. So what was it that he do? He decides I'm going to tax the people. And it was just really unfair taxation. It was really oppression. I keep building, I keep building, I want more and more and more. There's no people to build it. What do I do? He decides, okay, let's create a slavery. And it's just one thing after another, after another. It goes from bad to worse, to worse, to worse. And you can really see when you see it from far away, power, it's very important. Once any human being is in power, I don't know how many human beings can handle power. Because you are established, you have peace, you are blessed, and you are so comfortable that there's a point when things, it's very subtle. You start with one decision and go with another, with another, and Solomon is one example of that. He started really, really well with this beautiful heart, and then one decision and another and another. And do you remember Deuteronomy, the law? He broke, I think, all of them. And he was just so happy doing everything. So it was just like a spiral going down. It was really, really bad because of power. And he kept moving away and away from God. And he let, the Bible says he let his many, many wives turn his heart away from God. And it, I just imagine this dragging of his heart to whatever they believed. And the Bible says that this opened a door. Uh, other gods in reality were other spiritual entities that enter into the king, and whatever the ruler does goes to the people too. And this is an amazing principle. I guess that's why in the New Testament God says, Jesus says, pray for the ones that are governing you, your presidents, your governors, because it's a very important door of power that they have. And we need to pray because there are many things that we don't see. They are spiritual, but they need, they need this prayer. They need to be protected in the spirit. They need to be blessed. So it's a lot of things that we can think. Consequences. The people were obviously at this point very oppressed in many, many ways. And this led to obviously unhappiness. People start speaking, this is not good. We remember what David used to do, and there's nothing left. So people are talking, and there's a lot of tension in the kingdom. People start dividing, and there's this guy that just is raised up. His name is Jeroboam in chapter 12 from Israel, and he says, enough is enough. This stops here. I don't want to keep following this guy. Everything is really, really bad. We are going to get independence from Solomon and the kingdom for the first time in all these years is divided. It's broken. He separates the, oh, most of the tribes, 10 and a little bit of the tribes, divides the kingdom, and now we have two kingdoms. The kingdom of Israel stays in the north geographically. We have a map. Uh, that we're going to be showing there. And the green part, it's the kingdom of the north. They separate, they succeed, and they just leave. 
and the kingdom of the south is the kingdom of Judah. Those are the ones where David was from, the tribe where he was from, and they just have this heart, like we need to keep following on David's step. We won't follow this guy. We are going to stay because we have Jerusalem as the capital city. We'll stay in the city of David. We'll stay in his step. We want to keep following God. We'll stay here. And Jeroboam just breaks everything. He stays in the north. And he was like, okay, we don't have Jerusalem and we don't have the temple, so we're going to create our own gods, just like in Egypt. And he builds two places and he puts these idols and bulls. And he dares to say, Israel, these are the ones that got you out of Egypt. So it's really, really bad. Everything is chaos. Everything is confusion. And from now on, if you keep reading the book of Kings, you have parallel stories. So you have like, this guy was the king of Judah from this and this year, and he did this and that, and he died at this time. And then you have one of Israel. This guy became the king of Israel, and we have all of these parallel stories because now we have two kingdoms. So you read a lot of kings like alternating one another, one another, one another. And most of them don't do what is good before God's eyes. And I remember I always tell my kids when they are at school or when they are just daily lives, even for me, just try to do what you think makes God smile. And when I was reading here, I was like, oh, they didn't think about that. They didn't make you smile. Just, just do what makes God smile. And you just keep reading like, no. So we have this table, okay? We know from what we read that very, very few did good, did what God wanted. And some examples are going to be in a table. We have the kings of Judah. And we have, we took just four names, but they should be eight from both um, from both uh, books, first and second kings. And, well, the names are very tiny, but they are there. <laughs> uh, and usually you have in the bottom what we usually read after them. And it says something like, like this. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he followed in David's steps. So David was the standard to follow. And just very few kings of Judah, the kingdom in the south, followed. So we'll see how many kings of Israel did good. How many do you think did good? We have the next table. The kings of Israel. Zero. None. And that was shocking to me when I was reading. It's like, what? Zero out of like 20 kings that they each Judah and Israel had. None. And we read at the and of each king, we read, and he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he followed in the steps of Jeroboam. So from now on, we're going to see something that I thought it was really impactful because we have David and we have Jeroboam as the set standards and examples to describe the people that followed for generations, generations were labeled by these two guys. And that made me think, wow, you really see in this book how God 
and how the spiritual world works generationally. Like, do you know your generations behind you? What they did and what they didn't do? And because it's a reality, you're going to be labeled or described according to that. Happily, thankfully, we have Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, he breaks the bad things. He rewrites your story. And now the generations that are coming after you have a different story. Yes, that was really, really amazing. So in the middle of this, the second part of these books of Kings, chaos, confusion, spiritually, it's really, really bad. Everything is really bad. God has prophets. And I just had this picture of darkness, and then the prophet comes, and really in the middle of darkness, the prophet is like, oh, thank you, Lord. It's like a bright light. And he moves the light, like here and there, and you can see powerful stories. And one of the main prophets in the Bible that I really, really love in this book, it's Elijah. Have you heard about Elijah? Yes. Do you remember any stories about Elijah? The birds, yes, some examples. He is the guy that confronts a king. And the king, the king being the king, and it's king of Israel, it's a bad one. Obviously doesn't like what he hears and wants to kill him. What's the way of God doing to protect his prophet? He just tells him, go to this place. It's really like a cave. It's farther away, maybe in the field. You're going to drink water from a little river that there's there. And I'm going to command the ravens to feed you. What would you do? <laughs> no, thank you. Elisha, it's, it's amazing just to see his heart. No question at all. Yes, Lord. He goes and we read one of the examples that I have here. Let's see. It's First Kings 17. This is the example that Joe is saying. And we're just going to read the first part, okay? Six, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. He did what he told him he was going to do. How was the meat? I don't know. <laughs> ravens, I just was, I, I very, I, I, God speaks to me in pictures a lot, and I was just picturing the birds when you are driving and there's a dead something and the person like like I don't want to know how the meat was but he was fed <laughs> but somehow he was fed like thank you Lord for my daily meals but well then he's in the middle of a drought right God says things are so so bad I want you to tell the king there won't be any rain until I say so and that's why he fled and was fed by the ravens so the little river stream that he was drinking from is right up. And now God says, next set of instructions, go to this place, go to a widow, and I commanded the widow to feed you. And again, I was thinking, well, if I were Elisha, I would think that's a rich widow because the command is to feed me and there's no food, there's no rain, she must have a lot, right? No. He said, these are the instructions, go to the widow. Elisha says, yes, Lord. He goes, 
And he found out what God did not say. God didn't say that this widow was very, very poor. God didn't say that the widow had only one son. God didn't say that they had just a little, little left for one more meal that was it, and that both were preparing their minds to die. God didn't say that. And I just thought, oh, I, I know this situation. Have you ever been in a situation when you know that God is telling you something, sending you somewhere, gives you instructions, but thankfully doesn't give you the whole picture? <laughs> so you just say, yes, and once you are there, he has to show up, right? It's not fun at the moment, but it's powerful because you get to see God in action just like Elisha did. He went, obeyed, and he knew, like, okay, this is what my eyes see. The, do I believe what my eyes see, or do I believe the God that I know? And he told me, so everything is going to be okay. And there's supernatural multiplication of the little one meal that she had. It just goes on and on and on for many days, and they never ran out of food. So it's really amazing. Another story, uh, very quickly, and I just love how King, you have to go to the book of Kings and read it by yourself. This is when God tells Elijah, okay, the time has come up. I want you to go and show yourself to the king. And he's like, what? It's been years. He wants to kill me. And you really, I just imagine that the king had a wanted poster of Elijah, like wanted, dead or alive. No recompense, it's just every, everywhere in the kingdom, he was looking for Elijah to kill him. And now God says, go and just show up. He's like, he wants to kill me. And, okay, he obeyed. What happens is that he challenges the false prophets, prophets that this king had. We read that they had at least 450 and he says, like, I want you to see who the one true, only God of Israel is. So I challenge you, 450, build your own altar, uh, call your gods and see if they show up. And I will build my own little altar, call my one true God and see if he shows up. I don't know if you have read the story. They start doing all this crazy stuff, crazy, crazy stuff. And Elijah, knowing that he can be killed, starts mocking them. And the Bible says, like, he's laughing, and he's saying, like, where are your gods? Oh, yes, wait, maybe he's sleeping. Scream louder because maybe he's sleeping. He must be tired or no, no, no. Maybe he's relieving himself. <laughs> and I'm like, <gasps> like, he really said that. Like, okay. I, <laughs> And nothing happens to him. To me, that's a miracle. That's very daring. So they don't show up. And then Elijah says, okay, I'm going to show you my God. And we know from the law and everything, the offering on the altar had to be burned, right? So he's like, okay, here's the altar. Bring the wood. Bring the meat. Now bring lots of water. And they put a lot of water. And he's like, no, that's not enough. Bring more water. So he really floods the place. 
And he doesn't have anything to light up the fire. He just says, I'm going to show you that my God can bring the fire himself, and he's going to eat everything. And it's amazing because that happens. He prays a beautiful prayer because his prayer is like, Lord, I want all the people here to see that you are God. I want you to come, show yourself that they can see that you are God, that their hearts come back to you again. That's his prayer. And what happens? The Bible says, and that's First King 18, and verse 35, he says, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed. That's verse 18. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm, I have a lot of slides. Fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones that were there and the dust that was there and licked up the water that was in the trench. Just imagine what kind of fire can do that. Stones and dust and everything just disappears. And God responds because the prayer that Elisha did is answered in the next verse. When the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is good. The Lord, he is good. And they know that God is the one true God of Israel. So when I got to this point, this is more or less the summary of First Kings, I just felt that God was saying, see the big picture. I just had this, like, the big picture, and I'm like, okay, the big picture. What do you want me to see in the big picture? From our time, from 2022, from today, going back to this time of First of Kings, what we see is, of course, the transitions, the changes. We see that everybody, the kings, go from bad to worse, to worse, worse. We see a lot of clashing between God and evil. It's clear, just with Elijah, with the prophets, and how God fed him. He provided, he tied him, and protected him. He answered every prayer, and it was such a powerful display of God's presence and power that it was impossible to say, no, God is not real, because it was so clear. So what I saw is like, wow, it might not be like that today, but we can see, like, Lord, I can see that there are many things happening in the world right now. It seems that we are in the first scheme stage in the sense of darkness increasing. But then, as we see in first of King, darkness seems to be increasing, but his way of manifesting himself increased a lot a lot from what we've read before to now. I'm like, wow, your presence, your kingdom coming, your love, your way of showing up increases too. And that made me like, oh, yes. That means you are the same God. You are faithful. Somehow, I just sense we're going to start really seeing God moving more and more and more. As the times go, He's increasing his way of showing up. And I was like, yes, we have to do that. That's the big picture. And I felt he was asking questions and really convicted my heart. And some of the questions are, what are we doing? Are we praying for the nations? 
Are we praying for wisdom? Are we praying for God's voice and his word to speak to us in dreams to bring more revelation? Are we praying for, and he gave me this in capital letters, spiritual victories? And reminded me that at the beginning of the year, this was the exact phrase that he gave me for this year, spiritual victories for all of us. And then I just felt he was asking, are you praying for personal spiritual victories in your life, in your family, in your friends? And are you praying for spiritual victories in your neighborhood, in your region, your state, and your nation? And by now it's like, oh, Lord, he, he really convicted. Are you praying for the next generation? And this is a phrase that he, ke he keeps repeating the, again this year, and I haven't realized that until now. Are you praying for God to move more and more and more like never before? We have Jesus now. He is supposed to be increasing and increasing and increasing and increasing in us. So to close, he gave me and reminded me a song that I, I knew impacted me when I started walking with God. And it's a song in Spanish, and it's a dialogue between God and men. And the song starts saying, like, wow, there's a lot of chaos in the world. There's a lot of confusion. Uh, so describes more or less what the book of Kings is and what we see now. And then starts a dialogue, and men start questioning God, like, God, where are you? Where is that God of Elijah that would show up in power? Where's the God of David? Where's the God of Esther? And then the dialogue is completed because now God speaks. And the way God speaks is so loving. And he says, I'm still answering. I'm still speaking to those willing to hear. And they can perceive my voice if you're just willing to hear. And then his way of answering is asking the same questions. Now he asks, where are those men like Elijah who would give it all up just to follow me? Where's that kid that, ki that killed the giant? Where are those women like Esther? And I just started seeing this picture in Kings. Like, oh, we really cannot question. Like, I, I felt that God was answering or questioning or telling us, are you willing? Just like Elijah. Are you willing to give it all? Are you giving to love him with all we have? Devotion, surrender. Are we willing? The way I felt we need to close, um, it's going to be different today. Let's take just maybe one minute or two just to stay here and just receive what he has been speaking to you. And then we're going to take like two steps that I clearly saw that he wants us to take. Um, whatever it was that he spoke to your heart, just pray about it for a minute. Let's stay here and invite Holy Spirit.
at home, just try to do the same. Those of you online, I'm going to be praying for you too, specifically. And any way you talk to God in your secret place at home, if you kneel, if you stand up, this is just between you and him. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Your presence, like the glory cloud that we read about in the Old Testament, what we read in the temple, we are your temple. Holy Spirit, just come and speak and seal your word. Start moving, please. joy in his face and there was a point next to Ashley when he said there's fire here there's fire here and I just thought that he's seeing something that we cannot see so Father I ask you just to take that fire on each of us here I ask you to take this fire of your presence and your spirit online each person listening to you that they can feel your presence You are moving, God. Keep moving. Keep speaking. Keep touching us. Heal your word, Father. here because I really felt that God wanted us to pray for them but there's there's a step that we need to do as I was praying uh, and driving here he very clearly showed me that he wants to bless those of you who are first generations in him 
And that spoke to my heart because that means that if you are the first person that gave his or her life to Jesus in your family, you are first generation. You didn't have Christian parents. Nobody in your family maybe believed in Jesus, but he revealed himself to you and he brought you. You're a first generation. Could, could you stand up? And he reminded me, I'm a first generation. It was really, really hard where I was growing up, and he gave me a picture that I felt he wanted me to share. He said, you are the tip of the spear. You are a spear in his hands. He releases you, and since you are the very first, you are the tip, and you have more friction than anybody else that com that's going to be coming after you. All the tests, all the opposition, all the things that are coming to you because you follow Jesus. That's the friction, but you are the tip of the spear, and you're opening the way for those that are going to come after you. He gave me that promise when I was single, and I just knew that when my kids were going to be born, they were going to be under his blessing. They were going to be under his presence, and they won't have to ever go through whatever we went through. You are now in God's family. He's your father. You're under his blessings. And what I saw is that those of you that are sitting, I just assume that you are under a family that knew God. 